Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Thank you so much for joining me on episode 3 of the Adventure Games Podcast. I hope everybody is well, in particular the American listeners, especially in the Midwest of the US who are going through a polar vortex and life-threatening climate conditions now with the, with the huge cold. So I hope you guys are well. So stay stay warm and stay safe. And that goes for everybody as well listening. I hope you're all well. So we've got a very packed episode today. So let's get right to it. So my guest this week is none other than Dave Gilbert of Wajedi Games. But before we get to the interview itself, I just wanted to talk very briefly about some adventure game news that happened in the last few weeks of the last episode. And we start off with Quantic Dream, the developers of Heavy Rain, Beyond Two Souls, and most recently Detroit Become Human. Now, those games are only available on the PlayStation. That's due to a deal that Quantic Dream had signed with Sony that made all of their games exclusively available on the PS. Now, this week, a few days ago, they signed a new deal with a Chinese company called NetEase. This means that now all future games developed by Quantic Dream can be released on all platforms. Now, Quantic Dream haven't yet mentioned what game they are currently working on, but this is exciting news particularly for Quantic Dream fans and for people who want to play their games but couldn't before, like me. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they work on next. Now, I want to talk about some games that have just been released this week now. So the first game is Mage's Initiation, Reign of the Elements. This game is developed by Himalaya Studios who developed Al-Mo. Now, this game has been in development for about 10 years. So they've been working on this very, very hard. It is it is a RPG adventure. So Himalaya Studios, before Al-Mo, also worked on a Quest for Glory and King's Quest remakes. Some of them, at least. And so this game, they describe it as a uniquely crafted RPG adventure game. You play as dark in this fantasy in a medieval style game you can replay as one of four mage classes water air fire and earth you can also make choices in the game and you can have branching narratives as well uh, depending on their choices and a complete digital musical soundtrack and so if this game interests you you can find this on steam and gog and it there is a special offer it's 10 percent off uh, until February the 6th. So if you want to give it a try, I would recommend you try that. Early reviews seem to be very positive, very good. So good luck to Himalaya Studios. I wish them very well. And another game that's out today, February the 1st, is Rainswept by Frostwood Interactive. Now, Rainswept is about a detective, Michael Stone, who goes to a small town of Pineview to assist the local police force with a seemingly simple case. A couple is found dead in their kitchen. The locals believe it to be a case of murder-suicide, but the detective wants to investigate further. But, as he pursues the case further, 
the closer his own sanity and his own past shall come back to haunt him, and the closer his own sanity will be pushed to the edge. So this game is made by Frostwood Interactive. It's a studio founded by Arman Sandum. The soundtrack is being composed by Mechanic, who composed the game The Cat Lady by Harvester Games, which was released in 2012. So it's coming to PC, Mac, and Linux, as I mentioned. should be out now, the time this episode is released on February 1st, 2019. This game looks great. It looks very interesting, so I would urge people to check it out as well. Now... Two more games before we get to the interview. The next game I want to talk about very briefly is called The Funny Boneyard. Now, this game was announced back in December, but I just had a chance to play the demo a few days ago, and I really enjoyed it. So this game is described as a zany point-and-click adventure game that combines an authentic retro style with the themes of today. So it stars Maria Romero, who's a millennial hero we need. She didn't get into any uni courses and her phone is busted. Now she needs to leave her apartment and save her favourite pub, The Funny Boneyard, if she can get motivated, that is. Now this game is comedy. And in the demo which I played, you have to leave the apartment, but you need to find the key. So you have a combination of different varied type of puzzles. You have inventory puzzles to try and get the key or find some way to get out. And then there are some dialogue puzzles as well. And it's all tongue-in-cheek, but the characters are, are relatable. And I really felt for the main character, particularly Mario Romero, and I wanted to find out more. And I also laughed all the way through the demo, so the game is looking very good. Now, I was in contact with the developer, and they told me that they are finalizing the main story and puzzle arcs this week. And they're also working on concept art a lot, so they're still in development. They hope to release it by 2020. They don't have a firm release date yet. But you can find out, you can try out the demo at Zorpek, Z-O-R-P-E-K dot itch dot io forward slash boneyard, all one word, boneyard dash demo. And you can also check them out on their Facebook page, that's facebook.com forward slash the funny boneyard. And you can follow Zorpek on itch.io, so that's zorpek.itch.io. And you can also email them at thefunnyboneyard at gmail.com if you want any specific updates. Now, I would recommend people to check out the game. If you like the early LucasArts games and if you like comedies, then I would recommend that you check it out. The last game I want to talk about is Don't Forget Me, a game by Robin Biggs Fu. Fo. I, I hope I got that right. I probably didn't. It is on Kickstarter. It is described as an adventure investigation narrative game in a dystopic future. So they mentioned that some of their inspirations are Blade Runner, Bioshock, 1984. And they also said that the gameplay that they say it is similar to Red Strings Clubs and Return of the Obra Dinn. So again, it is on Kickstarter. They are looking for 10,000 euros. There is about 27 days to go. And at the time recording, they have 2,467, so it's still possible. I backed the game because it looks very interesting, seems right up my alley. So I would urge people to check it out, kickstarter.com, and then you type in Don't Forget Me, and I will include the links in the show notes and on the website. Um, yes, yeah, so that is all the news for this week. Now, 
uh, my guest, as I mentioned, is Dave Gilbert. If you're listening to this episode, you probably know who he is. You've probably played his games. But for those of you who don't know, he is the founder of Wajidai Games. And he has been making adventure games for the last 13 years, commercially, more or less. And in that time, he has become one of the most well-respected and admired adventure game developers today. He's won several awards, and he he is an inspiration to many other adventure game developers. As well as being a talented game developer in his own right, he's also known to be very generous and one of the nicest people in the adventure game community. Francisco Gonzalez mentioned in episode one of the Adventure Games podcast that Dave Gilbert helped him go commercial and publish his first two games, A Golden Wake and Shardlight. So we talk about more about those games in episode one. And Dave Gilbert has also published other games. He's also helped other adventure game developers release their games and work on their games. He also does voice acting on other games, even games he doesn't develop, such as Cathy Rain, which we talk about. So we talk about mainly the games that he's developed, but we talk a little bit about the other games as well, how he began his career. And so I also did a Twitter poll to find out which was people's favorite game fully developed by Dave Gilbert. So the options were the Shiva, the Blackwell series, and yes, I put them all as one, and Unavowed, or I loved them all. So I will reveal the results of that poll, this hugely scientific poll, uh, after the interview. So I'm sure people are now shouting to get on with it. So this is the moment you've been waiting for. First, I will include a clip from the trailer for Dave Gilbert's latest game, Unavowed, and then the interview. So, please enjoy. You were possessed by some kind of demon. It made you do things. One year has passed since your possession. You were wanted by the police for many violent crimes. But we can help. We can give you a new identity, a new life, a new purpose. Welcome to the Unavowed, my friend. Trust me, your life will never be the same. Magic is real. You know this, and you're part of it now. You were clearly meant for this life. It requires difficult choices, as you are no doubt discovering. Supernatural threats have risen. Exponentially, it's been difficult to contain. Monsters working out in the open never leads to anything good. People will fight back, one way or another. And innocents have to pay the price, every time. You want to prove yourself to the unavowed? Now is your chance. Okay, so today I'm joined by Dave Gilbert of Wajidai Games. So thank you very much for joining me, Dave. How are you today? I am doing well, thank you. Yeah, no worries. Thank you again for joining me. Um, Now, before I start asking you questions, I have a small confession that I'd like to make. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but I need to get this out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I first heard about you, it was, uh, you know, it was about 11, 12 years ago or something when you, you first started making adventure games. And I heard your name, but I focused on your last name, Gilbert. Mm. And I mistakenly believed 
that you were the creator of Monkey Island. Hey, you are not alone. <laughs> are we, I was about to ask you, did, did anybody else think that, or am I the only one? <laughs> you're, you're not alone, trust me. Okay. Well, Total apo- coincidence, I swear. <laughs> well, apologies for that. Um, <laughs> but I had, no, it took me what, a few months. I was thinking, wow, you know, uh, well, the creator of Monkey Island, he's you now making these different types of games. and But... Um, uh, but yeah, no, I have since done more research on the developers. I, <laughs> I know you are not the same. So uh, for, <laughs> I've met him a few times. We we laugh about it. Well, that's good. You can say hi. Yes, I'm the creator of Monkey Island. No, I am. No, I am. <laughs> well, my should... favorite story about that. Oh and yeah, go ahead. Actually, when I first met my wife, it was at GDC. And to, uh, she's okay. I assume it's okay that I tell this story. Okay. <laughs> She's right here. I first met her in 2007 and, you know, I gave her, I said, hi, my name is Dave Gilbert. We were meeting at lunch and she says, oh yeah, you made that monkey game, right? <laughs> and I said, no, it's the Ron Gilbert. And then I, I ran into Ron Gilbert the next day and I said, yeah, I, I met this lady yesterday who thought I was you, you know, maybe I should have kept up the, kept up the ruse. And he said, yeah, pretending to be me doesn't help you pick up chicks. <laughs> I, I, I years and then five years, uh, I guess three years later, I I married her. So, <laughs> so maybe he was wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> Just a so, cute story. I love telling well, him. Yeah, well, I'm not the only one. Then I'm very. That makes me feel better. <laughs> um, so then, uh, now I imagine a lot of adventure game players will know who you are. But for anybody listening who doesn't know uh, who you are, would you mind uh, giving a quick introduction about yourself? And letting us know what your favorite adventure game or games are that you really like. Hey, okay. Um, <laughs> I'm starting to easy so questions. I'm, I'm already dreading the second half of the question because I don't, <laughs> don't know how to answer. I'll answer the first part first. My name is Dave Gilbert. I run Wadjadai. We've been making um, indie point-and-click adventure games for 12 years. We started in, um, I guess, June of 2006. We're known for the Shiva, Blackwell, Technobabylon, Primordia, Gemini Ru, Resonance, Oh my God, Shardlight! We recently did Unavowed, and I know there's a whole bunch I missed. Uh, did I say Primordia? Primordia. Yes, yeah. Um, I just recently played that. Really oh, liked cool. it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's already getting through the back. Some others that I know I'm forgetting off the top of my head, and I apologize to uh, anyone involved that I've forgotten. But yeah, we're we're known for those. About half of them I've written myself. Others I've published. Yeah, so that that's. Who, who we are okay. what we do. Uh, in terms of my favorites i mean yeah I, it's so hard to say because there's so many it's um and my my favorite changes whenever i play a new one that i like i mean i, I really enjoyed firewatch when i played that last year i loved oxenfree um fran bow um those are at least in terms of like the recent ones they all did something just very unique and interesting that i i really enjoyed so th- those are some of my favorites interesting choices because usually people choose like monkey island or you know king's quest space quest so they're i mean i i, I like them the, i like uh-huh. them when they came out but you know that was what like 25 years ago <laughs> so there are other games that i like that i put in my top 10 now because I, I they're more fresh in my mind yeah i think i have all those three games on in my steam library i think i've either bought them or, or they're on my wish list so I've got so many games that I that I need to play. Well, it's I always say when people tell me I bought your game but I haven't played it, and my reaction is, well, I, I've got your money, so I'm happy. <laughs> that's all I care about. So I'm sure. <laughs> if you bought the games, the developers are happy. That's all they care about. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So I was playing Shard Life earlier this year. I eventually got around to it, mm-hmm. and then when I finished that game, 
thought, oh, I can get through, you know, my Steam library. And then you released Unavowed, which we'll talk about. And I thought, oh, man, now he's released another game that I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> so I that, mean, there was like, I think, two or three years in between those two games. But yeah. you play them once that one after the other. It's uh, That's funny. Yeah, no, definitely. So I was, uh, you know, it, you know, it's one after the other, really, that from Shardlight to Unavowed. So I can talk more about uh, those games, particularly Unavowed, later. But firstly, I was wondering, uh, could you tell us uh, when you started making adventure games? And yeah, so when did you start and really through anything, any reason why you started making adventure games in particular? Sure. It's not the the happiest story, um, but it was... I'm sorry to hear. You don't, no, no, it's, it's not like... It, well, it, you don't need to say it if you don't want to. No, no, no. It's nothing personal. You'll, you'll see when I say it. Uh, okay. Basically, it was... I always liked adventure games, and so I always like thought about making them because they always sound like they'd be interesting to make. And then it was... Um, the year was 2001. It was September, and I live in New York, so... Uh. You know what happened yes. during that time. So mm-hmm. I, that was um, I had been laid off from a really awful corporate job a couple of months before that. So I was kind of like, you know, not working on unemployment and going, you know, not wanting to go outside because of everything that happened. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of looking for a way to get my mind off stuff. And I discovered Adventure Game Studio and the Reality on the Norm project, which was sort of this communal a universe so everyone can create a game in this little quirky world using the characters and stuff and i thought you know i could i could probably do one of these let's let's try it and so i kind of i made a game in a weekend and i put it online and people seemed to like it so i kept doing it and then uh, eventually you know i got another job working in the garment district of manhattan for a few years and i was still making games just on the side for fun and eventually i left that job did the english teaching thing in korea for a while came back and had a lot of money saved up and i just decided i didn't want to get a real job right away because i didn't know what i wanted to do but i always loved making games and so i thought well there's never going to be a better time to to try doing this professionally so i just kind of went for it and 12 years later i'm still doing it it's a success story then you didn't have to go out to <laughs> one of those real jobs that's one of those real job things no, no. I, I mean, I, I, say it's been easy but it's been very satisfying yeah no well that's great and i'm sure the venture game player is sort of delighted you made that choice <laughs> so, you're welcome so t- thank you very much when did you go commercial then uh what year was that you said that was 2006 Okay. Um, so what was your first game then that you made uh, commercially? That would be The Shiva. Uh, that is a murder mystery starring a rabbi. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think that's the only murder mystery starring a rabbi that I've ever played. I don't remember <laughs> any other game like it. Of games, probably, yeah. So and where, where did the story come from, if you don't, don't mind me asking? You know, how did you come up with a murder mystery starring a rabbi? <laughs> I, always liked, I always liked mysteries. And I wanted to make a mystery. And I just spent a year in Korea where I, I'm Jewish. And being from New York, I was always around Jewish people. And this was like the first time in my life that I was never around other Jewish people. And it was not just that. It was also that like they almost didn't even know what that meant. Like a lot of folks I met there never met a Jew. They didn't even – not that I'm particularly religious, but it was just – odd like it was the first time i was very acutely aware of being jewish and when i came back and i was looking to you know make a game i just decided to kind of just sort of get back in touch with that side of myself so i thought why don't i do a game about being jewish and i thought well you know i like murder mysteries maybe the rabbi's the detective and i kind of i kind of went from there yes it was certainly very original anyway would you say it's probably your most 
personal game or is or was are all your games personal at some level? They're all I think any work that any work any creative work that anyone creates is personal, whether they know it or not. Shiva, maybe I mean it was. I mean, I certainly took a lot from, you know, my knowledge of Judaism, even though there's if you're playing that game to learn about Judaism, you would <laughs> learn the wrong things, um, uh, mainly because like the rabbi does not control the temple like they are not in charge. They have the least amount of power of anybody there. So like, you know, when Rabbi Stone says, forget it, the temple's closed, like he doesn't have that authority in real life. <laughs> no, yeah. So that's like, yeah, don't don't learn about. Judaism from this game. I know that anything I've done is personal. I think Blackwell, Blackwell is definitely a lot more personal than the Shiva was, if only because it took more a lot about who I was and what I was thinking and my thoughts on things. Rather, the Shiva was just this one little part of myself, if that makes any sense. But okay, I think yeah. any work of art ends up being uh, personal, whether you realize it or not. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So now I'm just going to. Just going through the description earlier. Now, I played this uh, a few weeks ago when it ca- came out, but I just read that it says there's Talmudic combat. Fight the way only a <laughs> rabbi can. What, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> have you have you played the game? Yes, now I played uh, years ago. I remember really enjoying it. I don't remember... I'm, I'm looking at the screenshot and it's slowly coming back to me, but I don't remember the Talmudic combat. So it's... I'm a, <laughs> Basically, it means answering a question with a question. Oh yes, 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 yes. And so, in the game, when you when you're like fighting <laughs> another rabbi, it's kind of a, a weird game it, th- that comes into play. I don't know why we called it Talmudic. It's considered like a Talmudic way of teaching is to answer questions with another question. It's considered like a Talmudic way of teaching, and I just kind of use that in the marketing. And <laughs> maybe I shouldn't have, but. No, this is certainly original. It's certainly <laughs> unique. <laughs> no, because I was trying to remember. I was thinking, I don't remember any actual combat in the game. But yeah, now I remember that now. Yes, I remember. And so did the story then develop much over time or was it close to what you... I had to had make it... Originally, I made it for a contest, which was a month-long event. So I made it in a month. So I kind of made it really, really fast. So it's... A, it's I didn't... I couldn't really think too deep about it because... I didn't have a lot of time to make the game. I had to make it in a month. And since then, like I've, I've remade it kind of twice with just updated graphics, but everything pretty much remains the same. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so updated graphics and, and that's so. And, and the voice acting, the voice. Yeah. Acting. So that's the first, uh, that was the first, well, obviously it was your first professional mm. game, but that, uh, yeah. any of your freeware games that uh, they weren't voice acted, were they? No, no. Okay. Uh, the Shiva was originally freeware when I first made it, but when mm-hmm. I decided, because it was for a contest, and when I decided to sell it commercially, I uh, I knew it needed something extra, so the voice acting was the first thing I added, as well as the commentary. Okay, yes, that was the first game that you had a commentary, and uh, now I really love the commentary in all your games, but wh- why did you decide to add a commentary? Uh, was there any reason, or you just want to maybe give a place to talk about the game more? A bit of that. I mean, mostly it's, like I said, I wanted to give more value Mm because it was the first time I was charging for a game. And I I really, you know, there was a bit of, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, um, indie guilt, especially back then in 2006 and especially using the Adventure Game Studio engine. Like it was selling these games for money was kind of looked down on and no one would take it seriously. And so I really wanted to give, especially since the game had been freeware for a month, I wanted to give it value. 
So I added the uh, – I thought the voice acting just added some value to it, and the commentary added some value to it. And also it's incredibly narcissistic. I get to talk about – you know, I get to talk about myself for, you know, however long. So people enjoy it. It's I get to indulge my narcissism. And uh, so every everyone's happy. No, definitely. You're happy to, you know, gamers are happy. You know, I'm, would you advise people to look or listen to the commentary when they first play it or maybe in the second no, playthrough? <laughs> not on the first play, because I, I make a point of saying, like, I'm not even going to bother with spoilers. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to bother with spoiler warnings. I'm just... I'm going to talk about stuff and there might be spoilers. So it's the very last thing I do. So a lot of it is kind of off the cuff and it's just very spontaneous. There's a lot of like stammering and ums and ahs. It's not very polished. I'm not going to transcribe the whole thing because it would be hours of stuff depending on the game. But yeah, I would not recommend playing the commentary on your first playthrough. It's like it'd be like watching a DVD with comment with, you know, commentary mode on. Sure. You just wouldn't do it the first time around. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I could first think, so, oh, so this character, I don't know, dies or it's a villain. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I want to talk about the foreshadowing that just happened, you'll be spoiled. Yes. So, so then your second game where you started with the Blackwell series, which you started, I believe it. Now, I might get confused with the name, so forgive me, but the Blackwell Legacy is the first game that it is, yep. you made. Yeah. What's the story behind that, first of all, with the Black? Who are the characters? Uh, for this All right. Well, it was kind of inspired by and I'm, every time I've asked this question, I always forget the name of this movie. <laughs> I think it might have been a family plot. I'm not sure. It was a Hitchcock movie where oh. um, there was a, a medium. And I don't remember if the medium was like supposed to be fake or not, but she was kind of ditzy, kind of, you know, flighty in that, you know, like 60s Hitchcock movie way. Yes, uh, I think and, I know which one you mean. Yes. And she always spoke to her Native American spirit guide, though, you know, being the 60s, it was an Indian spirit guide. They call her named Geronimo. And she'd always like constantly be talking to Geronimo. And I remember thinking like, wow, it really sucks to be Geronimo. (laughs) He's always kind of at the beck and call of this like, you know, crazy lady. And so I thought of like a story from the point of view of a spirit guide and how much it would suck to be the spirit guide. And so I kind of I came up with the character of Joey from there. And then I needed a foil for Joey, and so I created the character Rosa, you know, kind of as a foil for him. And then the everything else kind of fell into place from there. So yeah, that's how that's how that started. And I had this whole like big mammoth backstory all planned out, and only a fraction of it ended up in the final games because it was just too overblown and complex. So, yeah, and it, that's how it started. And originally it was going to be one big game, but as soon as like we started working on it, I realized a I had no experience working on games. And B, it would take forever to do. So I scrapped that and started making it kind of episodic instead, and that was a much better idea. Okay, yeah, seems to have worked out pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, so you mentioned there that you didn't know – well, uh, you, you say you didn't know how to make games, uh, but did, did you study as a programmer then, or did you learn as you went? Oh, well, when I say I didn't know how to make games – I had been making freeware games for a while, but I didn't know how to do like a professional, you know, commercial product that I was like supposed to earn money from (laughs) and I had to like pay people to make. And that was another issue is like I deliberately had to keep this game uh, very small and very manageable in order to make it because I didn't have a lot of money to work with. And I'm good at generating enthusiasm, but that only goes so far. So if I'm paying someone very little like you can't be working on the project for very long or they're going to get burnt out and annoyed and not want to work on it anymore. But you know, for, if, if they're eager and enthusiastic, enthusiastic about the project, they can last a couple of months, like a few months and uh, on little money. That's fine. Like I, uh, so back when like 
we were little and scrappy. This game took four months to make. And it was like, I was the only full-time person. Everyone else was working part-time, you know, when they could. And it was a very, very small game, but we got it out. And it's, you know, it's, I look back at it now and I think, it, I think of it as very flawed, but at the same time, it was the, the best I could have done with the experiences and resources I had at the time. So I cut myself a bit of slack when it comes to Blackwell Legacy. Yeah, of course. It's, uh, it's, it's the first game in the, in the series. Yeah. And, um, so, so you say that, so would you say that you've learned from that game or is there any experience? I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from it. I feel like that's where I made all my mistakes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like every game, like you play Lack of Legacy and it's very janky. It's very info dumpy. Um, the main character is, like, I, I kind of doubled down on the awkwardness so much where she's kind of painfully awkward to play. And I, I kind of learned from that. And I feel that every follow-up game is, is much, much better, which is kind of a bit upsetting because if someone new comes to the series, they'll play that first game. And they might bounce off of it, which has always been a bit of an issue with me. But it hasn't, as far as I know, it hasn't really been a problem. And have you ever considered maybe going back and remaking it like you did? With, um, I know the Shiva wasn't, uh, so no, you'd, you'd leave it as I it is. I, I kind of did. Um, won't do a George it, Lucas on it. I, <laughs> I resisted that because at one time when we finally were getting all the games on Steam, I decided to go back and, you know, I wanted to, I had to recompile the, uh, all the early games in the latest version of Adventure Game Studio because that was the version that had Steamworks uh, enabled. And Blackwell Legacy, I decided to do you know, add a couple of room descriptions, just add a couple of little extra things. I didn't want to get all George Lucasy on it as tempted as I was. The biggest change I made was the original voice actress for Rosa. She wasn't able to do it for the follow-up games. So it was a woman named Sandy Chen in the first game. And then for uh, Convergence and Deception, it was a woman named Rebecca Whitaker. And since I was launching on Steam and it was kind of like it was kind of like relaunching it again, I decided to go back and, and re-record Rosa with Rebecca Whitaker just to keep everything consistent. Because she was pretty cemented as Rosa Blackwell at that point. So I figured that was a smart thing to do. Uh, so that's the only major change I made. Other than that, everything's the same. Well, it seems to have worked out pretty well. People seem to have enjoyed so the far, series. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that, that was the first first game, the Blackwell Legacy. Now, then the, there, how many games were there in the, in the series altogether? There were five. F- five Blackwell games, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so is the second game is it Blackwell Unbound? Blackwell Unbound, yeah. And the okay. rest of them are easy to remember because by total accident, the rest of them are in alphabetical order. Okay, so then we have... Inception and Epiphany. Literally C, D, and E. Total accident. That wasn't on purpose. Was not on purpose. And I was tempted to go back and rename the other two games. Like, (laughs) make change Blackwell to, like, Ascension, and then Unbound to Baby Bound. And then it had A, B, C, D, and E, but I never did do that. Now, I remember when I played uh, Blackwell Unbound, um, or Bound, as we can call it, if you want. (laughs) Um, that, That was a prequel. If I'm correct, it was a prequel, yeah. Yeah, uh, was that always uh, the plan, or did you maybe want to include this as part of a backstory in the first game? I know you said you want to make one big game, but well, I already, I always knew that that story happened. Maybe not quite in that way. I knew that like she encountered the villain of that story, and I knew how how that ended. Uh, and originally, it was going to be a small flashback in Blackwell Convergence. Convergence was going to be the second game. 
and the uh, bits with Lauren were going to be little flashback bits. But again, I'm trying to save money and realizing things were getting big. I, I cut the flashback from Convergence. And then as time went on, like I, I needed to get a game out fast because I was running out of money and I needed to get something out very, very cheaply. And so I decided to take that flashback and expand on it uh, a little bit and make a little game out of it starring Lauren Blackwell. And I made that one like super quick. I think I made that from, from conception to release. It took like three months. And I, it, I, it, the ironic thing is, I don't know if this is ironic or not, but I always say that like, it's the fan favorite. Everyone loves Lauren Blackwell. Everyone loves Blackwell Unbound. But like, that was the one game that I completely pulled out of my butt. Like I just, <laughs> I, I just wasn't even thinking. I just like made this game super quick and it, it ended up being like one of the more engaging characters and engaging stories and people really liked it. I, there may be a lesson in there somewhere. I'm not quite sure what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe the the less you think about, just write down your ideas as they come, and then maybe make not it into think the game. So hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's something there. Go with your instincts, maybe. Or now, maybe. Maybe we go. But it's funny how that happens. And what? Why do you think? Or why do people say that they 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 la- like this game the most? I think it's mostly the character of Lauren. The difference between Lauren and Joey versus Rosa and Joey is that. Also, A, I had more experience in making games, so mm-hmm. I, I felt that Unbound was just a better game overall. But also the relationship was a lot more established, and it felt more lived in and more real, because they already had their their banter and relationship before the game started, and you already knew who Joey was. And so I think mm-hmm. I was able to focus more on making an interesting character versus showing a growing relationship. And Lauren is just a fun character. She's like, you know, she's just very, like... Moody and sarcastic and noirish and fun. Uh, and I think people really, they got, they were very engaged by her. And also Danny Marco's voice acting was fantastic. So she was just a great character. And I think that's the main reason why people were very, uh, they, they liked Blackwell Unbound a lot is because they really liked that character. Okay. Yeah. There aren't and d- any characters like her at the time. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a good one. Cause I, I play it. Yeah, now that you mentioned that, I do remember, you know, the, uh, you know how sassy she was. <laughs> yeah. Were you then tempted to make more games starring Lauren Black- Blackwell, or was it? Were you always then going to get back to Rosa? I was really tempted, but it's it's. I just I I always resist doing something because there's like a fan demand for it. It's like oh, suddenly this character is really popular. Maybe I should bring her back. But I couldn't really think of a way to doing that of doing that without making it feel kind of uh, fan servicey. I did bring her mm-hmm. back in Blackwell Epiphany. Because the story yes. called for it, the story was it was very naturally happened, and I thought of doing more flashbacks with Lauren, but I just didn't want to. Um, I wanted to focus on on this main story that I was telling. I was I was tempted, but I never did. And now that you've finished, uh, well, you've made the five games. Um, are you tempted maybe to make uh, another Blackwell game with Lauren? Go back no, or just do something done. different? Okay. As much as I love Blackwell and I miss it like crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so weird. A couple, like a year or two ago, I was in a cafe. And it was pouring down rain, and I was, you know, doing some design work and drinking a coffee, whatever. And I looked out the window, and I swear to God, it was like the sh- shock of my life. There was a woman walking outside, red hair, glasses, had the same coat and earmuffs as Rosa Blackwell did in Blackwell Epiphany. And like, it was like, I just stared in shock. It was like seeing a ghost. And I realized how much I missed these characters, but going back and and doing more just seems like it would cheapen it because it ended. It had a good ending. I I said what I needed to say. I kind of wanted to free myself from, you know, like 
like I said, Blackwell Legacy, it's it's very janky and there's a lot of flaws. And the the main issue with Blackwell Epiphany, as good as I think the game is, it's still tied to that first game where I was a much weaker designer. And I, I freeing myself of that was very necessary. So I was able to focus on something like Unavowed, where it had no baggage, there was no consent, no like there was nothing attached to it going in. I could just focus on making a really good, solid game with with no baggage from previous games. So I wouldn't want to go back to it, no. That's, that makes sense. As much as we would, you know, I think a lot of people would like you to go back to Blackwell because it, it kind of feels yeah. familiar. But also kind of it's exciting to see what you'll come up with next. You know, like when Unavowed came out, uh, we didn't know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's kind of exciting as well, I think, for, for everybody. But, oh, thank um, you. Uh, I know that Stephen King wrote another Dark Tower book, and it yes. felt very cheap. Like I was reading it, I'm like, yeah, yes, I, love I did as well. But, like we had already we've been on their journey. We know how their character arc ends. It just feels yes. like, eh. so yeah, I, I didn't want to do that, make that same thing, you know. And yes, I am totally comparing myself to Stephen King. <laughs> Why not? You know, oh. I, I read the Dark Tower series as well. I loved it overall, but as you said, the last book, and there were one or two books which I wasn't as much of a fan of. Um, so yeah, it I was very strange because the book was basically all the characters sitting around a campfire yes. and telling telling stories. So it wasn't even about them. It was very odd. Yeah, uh, I yeah. remember there was a flashback within a flashback or something as, as well. Yeah. Or something. Did you make any changes? I know we talked about with fans and all what they want versus you know what you wanted to write, but did you make any changes to the series based on any feedback from fans? Uh, some, an and it kind of taught me a lesson about how. Uh, not not that I shouldn't listen to feedback, but I need to interpret it better. With Blackwell Convergence, I got rid of the notebook combining interface because uh-huh. um, a lot of reviewers and fans complained about it because they felt that like off, more often than not, they would make the connection in their head and not think to do the connection in the notebook because as far as they're concerned, they've already done it. So it was very unintuitive to have to like do it within the game to progress, uh, which totally makes sense. I understand that. Um, and so I got rid of it for convergence, but then people said they missed it. And so I'm like, what the heck? You know, like people, <laughs> they like it or not. And then I kind of realized that I was interpreting the feedback wrong. It wasn't that they didn't like the notebook interface. They just didn't like how it was used because it was being used for things that they already knew the answer to and it became a chore to use. And so instead, I kind of used it for things that you don't know the answer to. Like if you have a a list of an, if you have someone's initials and then a, like a long list of names, right, you can combine those two to try to cross-reference the initials with a list of names. Not, and there's not something you could do on your own. So I made a point of like using the, if I was doing a note combining puzzle, it would be something like that. So it became, you know, an actual puzzle to solve as opposed to just telling the game to something you already know. So it's not that I changed something uh, using feedback. It's that I learned to interpret feedback a little bit better. Sure, yeah, because sometimes, as you mentioned, it can be conflicting. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Sometimes we don't know what we want <laughs> yeah. as adventure game players. Then, did you know the ending of the series from early on, or did it come to you? So speaking about Dark Tower, I remember Stephen King wrote that he didn't know what was going to happen, that there was this uh, lady who was like, in her 80s who asked him to hurry up and finish, because, yeah, you know, and to tell her the ending, and he said, "I'm really sorry, but I don't know myself." So I, I, I sort of him, like so. that about Stephen King. He has a, actually, he always said he knew what the like last chapter would be, but how okay. he would get there, he didn't know. And okay, something I kind of ascribe to that 
way of designing and writing myself where he says he never knows where the story is going to go because if if he doesn't know then the reader is not going to know either he just sort of lets it take him you know, he takes him on a journey is what he says kind of pretentious. yeah and i do the same thing i never quite know where it's going uh, i try to figure it out as i go and more often than not it works out i somehow managed to get all the pieces to to fit together but i i knew what the i knew what the ending of blackwell would be like much like what stephen king said about the dark tower i knew it would end that way i'm not going to spoil it but i knew it would end <laughs> with that ending but how specifically you got there that was never quite set in stone especially since i was i was never quite sure how many games i would make i thought like oh i could easily make 10 like i thought you know since i made the first game in four months i thought i could continue to do that no way <laughs> that did not happen. <laughs> and i realized very quickly as like i need to end this like there's no way like so there were a lot of like story beats and plot points that i kind of skipped over or just didn't feel were necessary or whatever like originally there was going to be a whole game dedicated to madeline kind of showing how she got to where she was but i decided you know it, it wasn't necessarily important because the series wasn't about madeline it was about rosa and joey so i it wasn't like I could probably skip over that without harming the story too much. So stuff like that. So I knew where it was going, but I wasn't quite sure how it was going to get there. So, yeah. Okay. So you're just going on a journey. You knew the destination, but <laughs> didn't know how you're going to get there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so Blackwell series are five games. Now I will include all the links to the games in the show notes and to the Wajidai site as well where i believe all your games are listed in the wajidai games website yes yes they are yeah that's good mm-hmm. okay so now we come to unavowed which is your latest game so again for people who might not have played or don't know much about it uh, could you talk to us a little bit about the plot of the game and some of the characters sure uh, um started, yeah? the, the quick elevator pitch is that it's an urban fantasy adventure game set in new york where you fight monsters that's the very quick one sentence pitch uh the uh-huh. longer is the um, is that you uh, play someone uh, who was possessed for a year and you have been freed and you discover that while you were possessed you did all of these like horrible things throughout the city and you join this group called the unavowed to try and figure out what it is that you did while you were possessed by a demon and put it right sounds good so uh, yes, we mentioned urban fantasy then. So were there any influences then that uh, or any inspirations for you to write uh, this? So I, I don't know any books. I, I wear my influences on my sleeve. Basically, <laughs> I mean, Dresden Files, number one. Yes, I haven't read it, but I've heard, you know, from what I've heard about it seems similar. I mean, I'm sure you're just different in many other ways, but that's. Oh, yeah. I mean, crazy. there's like there's a three three big influences were Dresden, Hellblazer. Uh, world of darkness with like a little bit of buffy thrown in and it's like yeah we're gonna put our own spin on all of that but that's where we started and so wh- why did you choose an urban fantasy now i know that's maybe my similar ish to the blackpool series but why did you go all in on the urban fantasy that's what appeals to you directly yeah um it's funny because for a long time i was trying to determine like what genre of story should i tell and i thought you know people have been saying oh we, they want a, another science fiction story from us because they loved techno babylon and geminary and primordia mm. so that seemed like the obvious thing to do but truth be told i was always a more always been a more consumer of science fiction than a creator of one so i it wasn't really Really something I felt comfortable doing. I mean, that could change. And then I thought, oh, I could just do a straight up Nora story or I could do an urban fantasy story because I like urban fantasy. I resisted it for a while because I had spent eight years doing the Blackwell games and that was also urban fantasy. And it, mm-hmm. it felt like 
returning to the well. It felt like going back to my comfort zone, which felt wrong. Then when I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to, there's no reason why I can't return to this genre, but, you know, move out of my comfort zone in other ways. So that's, that's what I did. Yeah, no, because when I, when I played it, I realized, you know, at first um, it feels kind of maybe a little, well, I thought, you know, when I, before I played it, I thought maybe it'd be similar, but then I realized, oh, this is actually in a, you know, a step where this is, you know, different in other ways. And um, yeah, it's kind of like what I've, it, it takes took the stuff I, 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 you know, think I'm very good at, you know, you know, uh, no false humility here. Like I'm really good. No, at go ahead. You, you have really a right. Good, to. I really feel like I'm good at dialogue and characters. I'm, I've never been really good at like deep world building and like backstory stuff, which is why I tried not to, I never really went too deep into, you know, how this world works. It's just, I mean, the good thing about urban fantasy is that it's, it's grounded in reality. And also uh-huh. it's like, you know, it's it's a fae. You know what they are. Or, you know, it's a freaking dragon. You don't have to explain what that is. Exactly. Like, you know it. It's a dryad. She's a creature of the forest. Just go with it. You know what that is. You don't really need the in-depth detail of, like, how her body physiology works. Like, it's just <laughs> it's there, you know? And so I like the urban fantasy genre because it kind of enables you to tell very human, very interesting stories because you can kind of take things and exaggerate them and kind of really pinpoint, you know, the, a very specific message, but kind of wrap it in something that's a little bit more palatable, like with, you know, you know, monsters and magic and stuff. And I kind of I kind of like that. Yep. Palatable. Is that the word? Palatable? I don't know. Oh, well, I'm sure listen, if, you say it, <laughs> if you say it is, I'm sure, we'll, you know, we'll go with it. <laughs> and uh, no, but the, the moment where I realized that we were not in Blackwell anymore was when you know what the, what the character has done. You know, when you go downstairs, I don't want to give, uh, you know, I don't know if it is a spoiler. I don't want to say too much about it in case for people who haven't. But mm. you know when you go down from the balcony oh, and then okay. you see the scene. Then I was, you know, shocked but in a good way. I thought, oh, wow, this is different to what I, I was not expecting that. <laughs> what was the reaction, Jennifer, from the fans when they first uh, saw I, it? I, differ, I mean, I got a few fans who were like, you know, why can't you go back to, you know, when it was, why should I used to be, did not used to be this violent? And I'm just, all I could think is like the very first game I released you literally could throw a guy under a subway and I remember. Throw a rabbi <laughs> off a building. So it was like, when, like, why is this suddenly new? <laughs> I guess it was never that graphic, but we really wanted to sell home that like you were, you did some awful things when you were possessed. So when you see that, it's like, wow, like this, this is what the stakes are. This is what you're fighting against. You know, that had to be made really clear. Yeah, because I, I was thinking, wow, how am I going to get out of this now? <laughs> how are, Where is it going to go from here? Actually, because I, I read a comment by Richard Morgan, who, who wrote Altered Carbon, you know, Netflix series as well. And mm-hmm. he said what he does with his books is he has the main character in the first chapter uh, do something really horrible. And then the rest of the story is them trying to get their redemption. So was that what you maybe... You know, was that something you were thinking of when you were uh, writing the game? Well, yeah, to a degree. I know the thing I really try to do when I write a story or write games now is that I want you, I want to get you into it really quickly. It's like right from the beginning, it's like you know what the stakes are. You know, you create your character. You know something's intense. You know, you don't quite know what's going on. Then you have the flashback where the, the pace is a little slower, but 
the sequence is actually quite short so you see what you did and like why this is so horrible so you know the stakes and you know what you're fighting against very early on and it, it started i wanted to start it with a bang i didn't want to you know i didn't want to have a slow burn like i wanted to get you in there you know and, and invested as quick as possible uh so that that was my goal there and it's not about doing something horrible and then trying to redeem yourself it was about getting you engaged as quickly as possible and so naturally that's difficult so naturally i created a game where i had to do that three times because <laughs> i had three <laughs> different openings for the three different origin stories so yes yeah. no one ever I, said it was smart <laughs> yeah i wanted to ask you about about that as well now i, I just played it twice with two i played i think the the cop origin first and then not the bartender uh, i can't remember which was actor actor yes that's it so, yeah, now I noticed that the game Unavowed has some key differences to the Blackwell series. That took it a step up that you tried to do something different. Uh, what, what are the key differences, do you think, between Unavowed and the other games you've, you've made? Oh, so many. I mean, I... <laughs> or, I or main the, ones, maybe. The main thing is, I mean, the big selling point of it was that it's got... Uh, and even after all this time, I've yet to find a sexy way of describing this. It's got the, the Bioware narrative structure, whether in Bioware games, how you choose companion characters to go out with you on missions and it would change your tactics and combat situations and on avowed you do the same thing except it changes how puzzles are solved i love that from those are my favorite parts of bioware games because they always say when you make an indie game you should always home in on the like one or two aspects of a bigger game that you really like and make that your game and that's what i did for unavowed like all the you know, the party banter, choosing that kind of stuff, multiple, you know, branching narrative stuff. Like, I love that stuff in Bioware style RPGs. And you I want like Mass Effect in that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mass Effect, Dice the Old Republic, the original Dragon Age, you know, I really sure, wanted yeah. that to be the game. And I, and that's what I did. How, how was it compared to making the Blackwell games, which I remember for probably a bit more linear, whereas this game, it's, branching storyline three origin stories and was that difficult to implement uh when you're making the game or was it maybe easier than you thought or? My, my wife would say that like while i was making it i would have said yes <laughs> <laughs> but, but in hindsight i mean really i mean the, the issue with it was like looking back on it i mean it was nothing that i hadn't already done i just did more of it like rather than just doing one straight linear story i had to do five so <laughs> it was it was nothing that i hadn't already done in the past many times it was just this time around there was just a lot more of it i had to mm -hmm. it took a lot longer because of all the multiple paths and the way yeah like i think with with each party combination there were five possible combinations and i wanted each path to be very unique mm -hmm. um so i had to design each one five times and a lot of the uh dialogue i had to write five different ways um depending on which combination of characters were with you so there, there was a, just a lot more stuff so it was really nothing I hadn't done already. There was just, I had to do more of it. So it took a lot longer. And I had to be very clever with the way I organized all of the player choice data. Just keeping everything, all the story beats and all the story choices organized, where you were in the story, what missions you've done, who was on that mission, you know, that kind of stuff. I had to really come up with clever ways of keeping track of all that. So that was something, that was a challenge. Is there any particular way you kept track of it when you were making the game? Did you draw diagrams? or uh, Lots of structures, lots of 
I, I really discovered how enums work, <laughs> um, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, it was um, just a lot of just variables that I was storing in various ways. I'm sure I, there were easier ways to do it, but um, I, I, it, I managed. Yeah, no, definitely, because I, I played through it twice, and then I intentionally, on the second playthrough, I actually chose different characters in each uh, mission just to see... <laughs> What differences there were to were differences, and I was very pleasantly surprised to see that you know it was different. It was okay. The main, story, the main story was overall the same, but it felt different. Again, a different journey. That was, that was the goal. That was the goal. Yeah. I, especially like with the bartender and police officer origin, because in those two origins, it, the bartender you meet Logan, and with the police yes. officer you meet Vicky. So when you do encounter those characters in the game, the way they react and treat you is totally different than if you hadn't chosen those origins so i i really wanted each path to feel special in some way rather than making i mean there were big choices but i wanted the little choices to matter too and how the origin stories affect dialogue options and things like that i i, I was very proud that i managed to pull that off even though it was totally ripping off dragon age origins like completely but um you, you steal from the best as they say. absolutely why not well this as i said when i was playing it and i was very happily surprised to see that the dialogue was different, and it seemed even with the interaction between the characters. So if you chose maybe Mandana and Vicky, but then if you chose Mandana and Logan, the interaction seemed to be different. Yeah, slightly, uh, yeah. because they, they would talk about different things, yeah. Yeah, so about their own, maybe their own personalities or their own history or something. So, yeah. and uh, no, it was, you know, really good to see. And then yeah. uh, another thing... I spent thing, a lot of time on that. I just, I really wanted the characters to kind of not just talk or... Uh, as I, this is this is getting a little pretentious, but I found that like it was so Go ahead. <laughs> when I was writing when I first started practicing and writing dialogue, it was so easy to just to make them snark and be insulting each other. It's so easy to do that, and it's so easy to fall into that. And I found it it's like much more engaging when characters like each other and enjoy each other's company. And I'm a shameless fan of the CW Arrowverse. They're total mm-hmm. trash. But I love them because these characters genuinely like each other and seeing them interact and pair off in new and unique ways is just always endlessly fascinating. Like I could just watch all these characters just hanging out around a dinner table just talking. They're just fun. And I I really wanted to put some of that into this, trying to have the characters not argue, but find common ground. Like if they have differences, try to meet somewhere in the middle so they kind of learn about each other and you see them kind of grow as a team over the course of the game so i'm glad i'm glad that was effective yeah no definitely i I noticed that you know as well i I never made a game but i did notice and i was thinking how how did he do that you know that's (laughs) how this coming together because i was thinking you know that sometime i'm going to see like a repetition or or something but i I don't remember seeing it so you know congrats from my end um like you said a a conversation between you know, Eli and Vicky would be completely different than a conversation between Eli and Logan. Like, they're totally different characters, so they would talk about different things. Yeah, no, definitely, because there was another game that I played, uh, it was many years ago, where it wasn't like this, and it was, you could play as a male or a female, but then, it didn't matter who you played as, but the, the dialogue was exact, and the responses were exactly the same, so it didn't matter uh, who you chose this? So for for me, from my end, I was thinking, why, why did it go to this butter? <laughs> of choosing uh, well, male, male or female doesn't matter so much. In are this you game. male or female? But, uh, you could, no, but there are two different characters. Oh, I think there are two detectives. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, 
Okay. So there are two different and two different voice actors as well, and uh, but they both said it's the same tone of voice and the exact same dialogue and the responses were the exact same. So I thought, why did the developers go to this bother? <laughs> They're not, gonna, you know, just choose one or the other. But you know, in this game that did not happen. So um, I'm glad. I, 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 well, I say I'm glad, but I purposely made it that way. From what I could see, it worked. And then another thing I, I liked as well that I only noticed midway through the game is the title screen. That I oh, I'm so proud of that. You could thank yes. John Walker of Rock Paper Shotgun for that. And who, who's John Walker again? Remind me of, of Rock Paper Shotgun. He did this editorial about how he wishes games would acknowledge that you've played them, and he said uh-huh. he really liked when the title screen acknowledges that you've played. And I'm like, I can do that. And so I, I did that with Unavowed, where as members come and go, the characters change on the title screen. Yeah, I was very, I was very happy with that. Yes, because at first I thought I was going crazy. I thought, wait, wasn't this character <laughs> there? And wait, there's another character that always oh, changing. That's right. <laughs> um, and that, yeah. And another thing I liked was, and this is going to sound a bit odd, but kind of changed, uh, shall we say, demon stereotypes <laughs> um, in the oh. way that... that you oh, know, when, demon stereotypes. So yes. the demon stereotypes, sorry. Um, so, you know, when we meet the first demon... At first, I thought, oh, he's going to be evil. He wants to, I don't eat or kill, kill you to find a way to kill them. But then, I, after hear, you know, hearing him, I felt sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it even I, continued. I had fun writing that dialogue because it's like, all right, how do I, how do I make this a difficult choice, or how can I make this a choice, and what can I do to make it, you know, difficult for the player? And you know, it's like <clears throat> I realized, like, originally I wrote him as someone who just, you know, was like evil and nasty and was like attack, wanting to attack them. But I'm like, he didn't ask to come here. Like, yeah. he doesn't have to. He's like, what if this is his only way of getting food? Like, it's not his fault. And so I, I kind of I rewrote the whole thing with that in mind. And it was, um, yeah, that, I love. That's the kind of stuff I live for. I love writing that stuff. Yeah, no, no. Again, it's something I really liked because again, it was something that I, that I didn't expect that it wasn't a evil demon wanting to eat you. Um, there's only I, one. There's only one villain in the game who was like really just awful, and like no one had any like of, of all the moral choices in the game of do you kill this guy or not? Everyone killed this guy. Like, yeah, I, I, I think yeah, I know which one you mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, I think I think you're the only demon that I killed the first playthrough. <laughs> I thought, no, you have to die. <laughs> like, yeah, this guy's dead. This guy's dead. But, but still, I think he, he still had a kind of a point. I mean, an awful point, but you know, kind of... <laughs> it's, uh, he had a motive, but it wasn't necessarily a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, with the effects of the game, d- does it rain as often in New York as it does in the <laughs> game? Because it, it seems to rain more than in Ireland. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, we originally had, it had to be a lightning, thunder and lightning storm at the very beginning, because of the exorcism Mm -hmm. and uh, we just kept it raining in the alleyway outside and it was just so effective and so beautiful that i we just thought let's just make it rain for the whole game and and that's what Mm -hmm. we did yeah no it was really nice also it's it's, uh, i think it achieved another thing you know in a lot of adventure games where you're thinking when you're playing it why are the streets so empty you know there's no other character no other people but in this game i can understand it's Raining. It's raining. <laughs> you know, Blackwell Epiphany had the same thing because it was bl- in the middle of a blizzard. Sure. So, yeah, there was no one on the streets. Oh, uh, yeah. And also, it did, did look beautiful. So, oh, thank um, you. And then another thing that I quite like personally, as, a, as an Irish person, are, was the Irish accent from one of the characters. And that was the one time I actually, I think I got an actual Irish person. Or she, she was, she is from the UK. Um, 
And so she could do a, you know, she's closer to Ireland than I am, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I deliberately hired someone who could do the voice because there's nothing worse than just horrible accents. So, uh-huh. all I know, as an Irish person, you have, uh, you know, go to movies and have other people, you know, try to give Irish accents. And I'm like, no, that's not really how we speak. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, so you like the Irish accent? Yes, from from an oh, Irish person, okay. I, I approved, and so I you also, approved. You're approved. Yeah, okay. I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if she was genuinely Irish or not, but I thought she could pull it off, so I I let her do it. Yeah, at least uh, <laughs> you know my first hearing of it, it sounded authentic on my end anyway. And also, uh, did you look up some Irish slang? Uh, yeah, a lot. You... I looked up a lot. <laughs> I, I might have a few bookmarks. Yep, I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, <laughs> let's see. 70 Irish slang words and phrases, Irish culture heritage, Irish abroad. Yep, I have a whole bunch of them. <laughs> but one thing, one thing that's uh, in common in all your games is that you use the AGS engine for, as you mentioned, for all your games, correct? Yes, I do. And has the AGS engine improved or have there been any updates or anything throughout the years that you've been using it? Well, yeah. I mean, it's... It's a lot more. It's, a, it's slightly more modern than it was. There's a lot of things that it does better now. Uh, it uses the OpenGL graphics filter, which means it's a lot more compatible with modern monitors. The one problem with the older AGS games is that it would shrink your monitor. It would change the resolution of your monitor. And since a lot of AGS games are are small, you know, like the earlier ones especially are like some something ridiculous, like 360 by you know 200 or whatever. It would really screw up your monitor because it would change the resolution to fit the game. But now it does what modern games do, which is it changes the game. It increases it to fit your monitor size, which is what you're supposed to do, which is what <laughs> games are supposed to do. And that is such a great thing because, you know, it just, it's a lot more friendly. It can, it just feels better, you know, that the, your, your monitor doesn't go crazy every time it runs the game. So there's that. It runs OpenGL. So it's a lot, it can, you know, you can alt tab of it out of it, like, which you used to not be able to do. It would kind of screw things up. The main issue with AGS, which has been a big thorn in our side, is that it's very unportable. Like, it's not a very portable engine. And so the games are stuck on Windows, like stuck on Windows pretty much. You can port them to Mac, and with a bit of work, you can port them to iOS. But the fact that we can't get them on Switch yet is feels like leaving money on the table, and it mm-hmm. drives me crazy. I want to get these games on the Switch, but it's just not possible right now. Well, that may be something maybe in the future it can hopefully be done. I also want to talk, well, one of the, I think, the consistently good thing, great things about your games is the voice acting, which is... Oh, thank you. I uh, love the voice acting. Yes, and it's like everyone. I don't remember anyone that I go... Because, again, you know, at least before there were some adventure games with games in general where you go, the voice acting gods, you know. (laughs) Um, Either they they don't uh, pronounce what or enunciate, but that's not problem in your games now i know that you give uh some voice uh overs as well for car- characters in your games do you think that helps when you give voice direction that you can you can help to empathize with the actor that you can get into the mind of an actor would that help do you think well um i mean uh, i've done i've done some voices for very minor characters in my games and unavowed i voice a major character the first time i gave myself like a major role like that but for the most part it's that it's not that i empathize it's that I think about it a lot, and I, I'm really kind of if, – if, if I had to give up making games, I'd want to work with voice actors because I just find them to be the most interesting people. I find the process of voice acting to be just fascinating, like the art and craft of it. It's so much – it's so different from 
regular acting. There's just so much. It's like a craft in itself. And I love being in New York. I can work with local actors. They can, we can come and go into a studio and I can work directly with them. And it's so much fun being there and watching everything come to life and kind of working on the characters with the actors. And I am not a professional. I don't, I'm not like an expert. I'm not an expert voiceover director, but I've done enough of it because I've done, I, I, 16 games. I mean, 16 games plus like, you know, like a few other games that I've done voiceover for that weren't my own. So about like 16, 17 games worth of voiceover over 12 years that I've been doing this. So I know a thing or two about the process, but mostly the, the most important thing I've learned is to just, is to do less. It's to just let the actor figure it out. Cause if you're working with a decent actor, they know more about, they're thinking about your character more than you are. And they know, like, they're aware. They're aware of certain things. And I just let them go. And if I need to tweak it, I will. I find that the less I do, the better the performances are, 90% of the time. Okay, that's interesting. So maybe yeah. there's something there for all of us. Because I know, well, I don't do voice acting, but I know with things I do, sometimes I want to control more, but sometimes it's better to step back. Yeah, always. Uh, Actually, I asked Jennifer Hale about this. I went on a, uh, um, I went to a voice acting workshop with Jennifer Hale, who's amazing. She is, you know, all the hype is real. She's amazing. Um, she, she's a voice I, actress as well, for people who don't like know. Yeah, this. she's okay, uh, yeah. mostly known as the female Commander Shepard in Mass Effect. You know, oh, femme okay. chef, if you want to use that. Um, but she's she's great. And like, I asked her, what is something a director does a lot that you wish they wouldn't? And the first thing she said was, I wish they would shut up. <laughs> it's like when they're in the zone and they're ready to go, yeah. like they're feeling it. And then the director is constantly giving them direction still. And all she just wants to say is, I shut up, I get it. And this happened to me once because my wife had recorded some of the voiceover sessions for Primordia, I think. And I was working with Sarah Malay, who played Clarity. And I, she's recording me and I'm giving her like, I'm talking for two straight minutes and giving her context for like this one line. And I'm just rattling on and on and on. And, and I could see her kind of nodding off and not paying attention in the video. Like me, I'm not looking at her. I'm looking at my computer screen. So I don't even notice. And then when I finish talking, she just says, so my sister was murdered and I think this person did it. I'm like, <laughs> yep, yep, that's it. Yep, she's that's like, it in a nutshell. Okay. And then she, she very professional, didn't say a word, but <laughs> that's, but watching that video later, I'm like, okay, like she doesn't need to know every little detail, just the little bits are, are fine. So like I give, I give less information and let them play. It's very much, you know, getting, it's not important that the actor understands the text so much or the character, it's getting them to a place where they can, you know, get, give you what you want. And that's all they want. They want to give you what you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's something new there. I think for people, uh, for, well, for most things as well, sometimes it's better to, you know, stay back. And, uh, I love, I do adore voice, uh, working with voice actors. I'm actually working on, uh, I'm going to be helping with the voice acting for Kathy Rain. Um, so that'll be, uh, yeah, yeah. Kathy Rain. <laughs> the, the, the next game by the Kathy Rain guys. Is it uh, uh, Neo Feud or something? That's no, uh, it, no, Whispers of a Machine. Oh yes, 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 yes. No, I, I just saw it today. I saw it on a on a Discord, yeah, and did, I thought they did the official announcement uh, the other day. So um, okay, that's why I didn't hear about it. I was like, how did I not hear about this? <laughs> we're gonna start the um, voiceover auditions, I think, this week. So 
That'll be fun. Well, I, I loved Cathy Rain, so I'm looking forward to that. Hmm. And that was I fun think, to do as well. That was that was. So a fun you were involved in that as well, in Cathy Rain, yes. The voiceovers, yeah. Yeah, and is there is there a difference then? So a game that you didn't create, you didn't write for, and then you go uh, do the voice direction is uh, are there any is there more challenging or less challenging? Or? I mean, to a degree. I mean, Kathy Rain was pretty straightforward. Of course, I'd played through it, so I knew who all the characters were. And, you know, like you, you think your character is deep, but usually they're they're less deep than you think they are. As the less complex you make the character for the actor, the, be- the easier it is for them to find that voice. So you don't want to make them think too much. You want to keep it simple. So even if your character is really, really deep, you just give them the basic information. This character is angry. They've like lost their best friend or this, this person betrayed them or whatever. You give them the most basic information and then it's up to them to make it interesting. You don't need to give them every, every detail because then it just confuses them and makes them think too much. And then that gets in the way. I could talk about this forever. This is like not, <laughs> I, don't know, louder conversation. I don't know if you really wanted this to be like half about voice acting. But yeah, it's no, sure. It's a topic I'm really, really interested in. And yeah, no, uh, it's the getting to the voice acting stage of a game is like the reward. I love getting it to that point. Like when I did the last when I um, when Unavowed hit alpha, I'm like, OK, like like the very next day I was like putting together audition sheets like we're doing this. <laughs> like I want to do I want to do the voice acting. Yeah, no, you seem to enjoy it, or at least the actors do as well from the from the bloopers anyway. I love uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you listen to the bloopers, yeah. That uh... yes, yes, no, I, I love them. It's uh, and I, you know, I can I can sense kind of that you guys uh, kind of you know, okay take it seriously, but you have fun at the same time. It's so important to do that. It's so yeah. important. To do that. And it's like if just... I'm having fun with your, if I'm having fun with an actor, I want to work with them again. Yeah, no, it's like the actors seem comfortable, like the. The the guy who forget his name, the guy who played Eli, you know, when he just gave voice impressions, <laughs> and you know, I just started, you know, laughing, and it's and oh, they, they seem comfortable, like you know, the sense I get is if they don't get the line exactly right, that they know you're not going to be shouting at them. That's like, Frank, okay. Believe it or not, was the only major actor I work with remotely, because he used to live in New York, okay. so I'm familiar with the guy. But he moved to L.A. to do like real actory stuff. He does Starscream in the new Transformers cartoon. So he, he's like, okay. you know, he's one of them real voice actors. He does- <laughs> but he loves he, he loves working with me, and I love working with him. And so I, I work with him remotely, and that's why you don't hear me talking on any of his bloopers because they're all on his end. Frank is wonderful. I love working with that guy. It, it seemed like you guys had a good time anyway. And then the, the last question I ask about voice acting in this case is. I think an unavowed and the last Blackwell game, there were some child uh, characters. Uh, were they really children who gave the voice acting? Yes, they are. Wow. So that has some different challenges, maybe, to dealing with adult voice actors and how to go about getting really them to enough, play. enough, because like, I go through a casting director for that, and the child actors that she knows are professionals. And so like, if you're a professional child actor usually a lot more serious and focused than a lot of the adults I end up working with. So it's actually like, uh, especially the woman, the woman, the the kid who played Kendra, I mean, KK in Unavowed. I, wa- I was hoping to get the same actress because, you know, it's a reoccurring character. She was in Blackwell mm-hmm. Epiphany as well. And I was hoping to get the same actress, but it had been like three years. And so kids grow up and her voice mm-hmm. was completely changed. So I, I needed to get another kid. And she recommended uh, Shelly. She recommended this kid named Violet Young. And she has this whole professional website of all of these, you know, of all of these things she's done. 
And typically I like Shelly to be there with me to help me with the directing the kids because I'm not like a professional director and she's really, really good with kids. But Shelly was like, yeah, you will not have any trouble with this one because she is just super professional. And so it wasn't really a challenge. It was so much it's fascinating to see just like how focused most of them are because they know in order to like make it as a child actor, they can't mess around. Mm -hmm. So they are so focused and it's actually kind of awesome. Oh, wow. Not, not because I was, you know, impressed. You know, I kept thinking, this sounds like a child. It doesn't sound like an adult yeah. playing a child. It's always better to get um, – because I tried doing that. I think for Resonance, there was one child, but she had like one line. So mm. – but it was an important character. So it was an important moment. So we needed to have like a, someone who could sound like a child. And I did an audition for you know someone who could do a child. And I got auditions from people who say they specialize in doing children, but it's always this like very heightened anime cartoony kind of kid. Like, yeah, let's go get him, guys. Like really just ridiculously cartoony. And that's not what we wanted. And that's so hard to find that I just I'm like, yeah, let's get a real kid if we can. But they sounded like genuine as well, like is how real kids that age would be. <laughs> And they're so uh, excited to be doing it. They're so excited to be doing it. It's I like, can imagine. I mean, yeah. I would. <laughs> um, they're probably more serious than I am. So, <laughs> yeah. And is there any game that you develop? So from Shiva, Blackwell series or Unavowed, is there any game that you particularly enjoyed working on or did you enjoy working on all of them? I mean, I like working on all of them for different reasons. I would say probably the most fun game, the one I have the most nostalgia for working on, would probably be Blackwell Unbound, weirdly enough. Okay. Because it was like right after my first game, so I had a bit of clout. I knew what I was doing. I was earning a bit of money. And so like I had a, like a bit of a reputation for my first game, first two games if you count the Shiva. So like people knew who I was, so I was kind of getting the notoriety from that. I was like not desperate for money, so I wasn't like pulling in, pulling all nighters to get the game done like I was doing with all my previous work. So it was a lot more relaxed and a lot more fun to work on that game. So I'd say that was the one I probably have the most nostalgia for because I felt it was like the easiest I've ever worked on any project. Maybe like, maybe Blackwell Deception to a lesser degree because that's like when I, I was, that, uh, I had fun writing that game. That game was fun to write. But yeah, I don't know. I can't really think of any anything specific. I like all the games in different ways. And when it, when a project is over and like you kind of mentally edit out all of the stress, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> you, kind of, you kind of get a very false view of how things were. Because my wife always makes fun of me because it's like I'm like stressing out on unavowed. And I'm thinking, oh my god, like Black Hole Epiphany was so much easier. And she's like, no, it wasn't. <laughs> you were complaining just as much. <laughs> oh yeah, I for, forgot right. about that. <laughs> And then following up on that, uh, now I don't know if you can answer this, but is there any of those games that you developed? Uh, do you have a favorite, and why would it be Unavowed? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, weirdly enough, if I have to pick, I, I mean, Unavowed is, is the game I'm most. I'm from. kidding, by the way. Well, maybe yeah, I'm not. But, but. <laughs> well, no, I think like in terms of like when I finished it, um, the game I was most sure of, like Blackwell Epiphany, was. Finally, like I, I had created the game that was in my head. It was the first time I like had the clout, the experience, the staff, and the ability to like really make the game I wanted to make. Like everything else before, I kind of was letting certain things slide. Like Blackwell Deception, I think is a really great game. Visually, it's it's really not up to par. Like we could have we could have done a better job. Blackwell Epiphany, everything about it, I love. 
it was the first time I actually really made the game that was in my head. And Unavowed, it was just like, it was... It was the game that was in my head, but like I said, it was nothing that we hadn't already done. But Blackwell Epiphany was the first time I actually achieved what I wanted to achieve. Like when I first started making games, like that was the game I wanted to make. And we finally did it. Uh, so I, I like different games in different ways. Unavowed is like my biggest accomplishment. Like you could say Magnum Opus or whatever. Like it is the game I never thought I would be able to make, but we did it. And so yeah, I'm very yeah. proud of that one, too. Yeah, no, you got there. Like it did seem like a whole like, expansion that. Because I didn't think I. I knew it would take a lot of time and a lot of planning and design work to get it done, and we did it. So yeah, there's. I can't really pick one. <laughs> okay, so it's probably probably like uh, which of your children do you like the best? <laughs> yeah, I like them all in different ways. Let's do that. <laughs> That's good. And um, I do feel okay. though. I mean, the difference between Unavowed and Blackwell is that with Blackwell Epiphany, like saying goodbye to them was like saying goodbye to like dear, dear friends that I knew all my life and they were going away and I was extraordinarily sad. Unavowed was a little different. It was like hanging out with people I had just met and I was like kind of getting to know them and like saying goodbye to them at the end of a cool night and be like, okay, you know, cool meeting you. You know, like just I'm, I still don't know them well, but yeah. I, I spent some nice time with them. So it is different because like I never quite had that deep personal connection to the unavowed guys that I do with Blackwell because Blackwell, I had been, they had been a part of my life for over a decade. So there's a difference. There's a, a connection that couldn't be faked, but if I keep, if I make more unavowed games, I'm sure I'll, I'll get there as well. Good to know it's a possibility to be more unavowed games. <laughs> yeah. I haven't decided yet, but we'll see. Okay. Uh, now very brief because I don't want to take up too much of your time, but uh, you mentioned that you published some games as well. Now, we don't think we have time to go through all of those games individually because we'll be here a long time. <laughs> but in, I think I've played them all, played both of them as well. And now I wanted to ask you, so what is the difference for, for you at least between developing your games, like the Blackwell games on the vote, and publishing the games? So how much control or, well, I don't know, control, involvement probably, better word. How, how involved are you in the games that you've published in terms of plot and characters? Are they already done? when you get on board or do you help them develop them further or uh it depends every game is different okay. I mean, typically i am not a hands-off publisher i okay. like to be involved because I, if i put my name on it i kind of want to make sure it's as pretentious as it sounds it's up to par because I, sure, yeah. I have very specific ideas of what i like my games to be and if your games aren't meeting that then you know i, I will try to meet you halfway and, and change it or whatever and sometimes it's just not a right fit but it's the advantage to publishing versus developing is that a I can do a lot I can do several of them at once. So whenever I get into publishing, I can have several games come out. I think 2012 we had three games come out that year, which was awesome. But I can kind of act, I guess because when I finish working on my own thing, I get burnt out, mm. and I just like the 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 sheer effort of oh my god I got to design something new. I got to go through all that again. Just gets very <laughs> overwhelming. And so, but at the same time, I've, I've gained a lot of experience and I, I know a lot, I like to think. And so it kind of welcomed the opportunity to help someone else on their vision and kind of work with them on their game. And since I'm not so personally connected to it, um, I don't have like the personal involvement when like, cause I'm not creating it myself. I have that distance. I'm able to say, you should change this. Let's do this instead. And I kind of can help the game grow and get better and kind of take care of it 
you know, up to launch. Um, but then I do enough of that. And then I get bitter. I'm like, why am I helping all these other developers on their vision? I want to do my own thing now. And and so I, then I work on my own thing again, and the whole cycle starts all over again. So I get to – oh, uh, someone's printing out something. Okay. <laughs> That's my, my There's a ghost in my printer. My wife's oh, in the other room. She's, she's Joey Malone, maybe. <laughs> she's, she's printing something out. Um, sure she's not a spirit medium, yes? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, Sorry, yeah, go ahead. You talk about uh, publishing games. I get the best of both worlds that way where mm-hmm. I can you know, take a break from my own thing, help other people with their thing, and kind of enjoy that until I get sick of it and then work on my own thing again, and then I get sick of that. And so <laughs> I go back and forth, which is, which is nice. So, it, yeah, that, that's worked out well for me. Yeah, it was good to diversify, to change it up a little bit. Um, like you said, to not get burnt out. Yeah, uh, I mean, you get or, burnt out anyway, but <laughs> or maybe to recover from the from yeah. the burnout. Um, are you planning on publishing any more games in the future, or are you just developing? Or do yeah, you have any plans? Um, right now, we're publishing two, possibly a third. There do you is... ever talk about them? Or sure, yeah. I mean, I've made no secret. I haven't made a secret of them. We're doing a sequel to Techno Babylon. James okay. is working on that, and it's what's interesting about that is that it's, you know, it's a, an extra dimension. It's in 3D, which is wild, and it looks really good. Are uh, still using AGS? Yeah, so it's not AGS. Yeah. And the other game oh. we're doing, Nighthawks, is not in AGS either. Both of these games are in Unity, so that's pretty cool. Nighthawks is a, it's described as a sunless sea, sunless sea meets vampire bloodlines. Really, it's the text-based with lots of choices like Sunless Sea, but with a kind of vibe of Bloodlines because it's about vampires. And that's being done by Richard Cobbett, who is just this amazing writer um, who, I've, who I've been very good friends with for a long time. And we've always wanted to work together. And he, he pitched this idea to me, and I liked it. We did a Kickstarter for it, and we made, met the goal. So Congratulations. We're, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's a yeah. very new thing for us, and I'm very curious how people will react to it. But the that's the one good thing about Kickstarter is that if you plan it right, there's not as much risk involved because it's already paid for. Yeah. Okay. I was about going to ask you about that uh, Kickstarter. You know, what was your what are your opinions on Kickstarter? And I mean, know people normally, have different opinions on it. I have like mixed feelings on Kickstarter. I don't want to. The thing about Kickstarter is that I don't want to. I think it's bad when your business model is Kickstarter. I think that's a sure. bad idea. And Richard, he wanted to do a Kickstarter for it. Normally when I work with a developer, it's that, you know, they either ha- I can't pay them money. I pay time. I give you a lot of my personal time to work on the game and our resources like our artists or I might pay for voice acting and music stuff like that, but I can't pay you to make the game. I give you a royalty at the end. Um which doesn't work for everybody. And for Richard, he's like, he really, he couldn't work that way, which is totally understandable. So he said, Mm -hmm. Hey, could we do a Kickstarter for it? And I said, sure, let's do that. And so we tallied up how much we thought the game would cost, added a bit extra because of, you know, Kickstarter fees and stuff like that. And I, I, I told him I had to be honest with him is that when he wanted to start the Kickstarter was right after unavowed launched and I was going to be exhausted. And, but he was great. He basically, 
gave him access to like all my social media stuff. So whenever you saw on Twitter, it being promoted on Twitter or the Kickstarter, you know, mailing lists, whatever, that was all him writing under my name. <laughs> so <laughs> it's basically he did all the work and I kind of lent him the brand name because I just had no, I had no energy. I had zero sure, yeah, that's for another social media campaign. And he was fine with that. So he did it. He, it's all him. He, he, Take, I give him all the credit for getting that Kickstarter over the finish line. And so we've got the money now and we are making the game. So he is doing, you know, he's taking a year. He's like, get it, got a year's salary from that Kickstarter. And we're paying, you know, the artist um, a salary for his time. And we've got like a bunch in reserve for extra stuff for music and whatever. And we're making the game. So next year, that's going to be our big thing. Sure. Well, maybe we'll get these back on <laughs> next year. Yeah, sure. Talk about I mean, honestly, it, yeah. like I, I, as of now, it's mostly his baby. So he's like, it's a great thing about Richard is that he's made games before. He's written, done so much writing for games before. He's shipped games before. So it's the first person I've worked with who really does not need my help. Like normally I'm, ha- I'm really hands-on and involved, but for him, I don't have to be. And it's kind of nice. It actually, mm. we've, it really comes out in my favor because it's like, I'm getting this wonderful game for our catalog, and I am not really involved at the moment. Later on, I'm sure I will be, but for now, there's very little I'm doing, which is nice. Like I'm, I'm letting him have all the freedom he wants, as long as I'm aware of what's going on. It's an interesting sure. project. If you want to talk about it, you should talk to him about it. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely contact him. I, yeah. I saw, he's got a trader. It's, uh, it looks interesting. So it's uh, interesting. The, the demo he released is very basic, but like the plot outline and design document he sent me it goes the story goes into some very interesting places and he's got some really amazing ideas in there that i i'm really eager to play so i'm looking forward to that and Delta, would you be interested in uh maybe doing a kickstarter for any of your games or is it not for you or? <sighs> honestly like doing a kickstarter myself just seems exhausting mm-hmm. um and like i said i don't want to get to a point where i'm relying on it I like kind of knowing how much my games cost, roughly how I'm going to make from them, what I'm going to make from them. Kickstarter, I mean, I, I say this having had a successful Kickstarter, but I don't want to get to a point where I'm relying on them because sure. that way th- there's just a lot of danger there. Uh-huh. And I, I, I'm very careful because this is how, you know, this is like my livelihood. We support my family on this and, you know, that kind of stuff. So sure. I, I'm very careful about that. And I don't want to get to a point where I'm relying on Kickstarter. And so, Dan, you talked about uh, the games. They're coming towards the the end now. If I promise, I will keep you. Um, <laughs> like I said, I can talk about myself forever if you let me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, mean, I could speak uh, all day as well. But I'm sure you have to eat sometime. <laughs> um, so, Dan, uh, you mentioned with the AGS that it is difficult to port to iOS and Switch. Uh, are any of your other any of your games are they available on any other platforms other than PC or, or Mac? Most of them are available on iOS. All the Blackwells, Shiva, Primordia, Technobabylon, Shardlight, uh, anything else, Gemini Roo, um, they're all on iOS. Uh, so you can play them there, but nothing else. <laughs> and was, was it challenging getting them onto iOS with the AGS engine? That was all done by my wife. So I, oh. I know it wasn't – I mean, actually, porting it over is not so hard – the actual difficulty was getting it playable, 
like uh, redoing it and streamlining it so it's playable on a touch screen. Because there's little things you don't realize how like a lot of the interfaces re- relies on mouseovers. You can't do that with with uh, touch screens, stuff like that. So there's a lot of stuff you sure. need to do and stuff like that. But she she's the expert on that. She handled all that. Well, I haven't played them on the, on the mobile, but you know I'm sure you know to to done, done well anyway. So that's at least more places people can find the game to better, right? So yeah. And uh, then, are there any demos for the games that uh, we talked about available on your website? Yeah, most of them. Yeah. Uh, okay. Most of them demos. So yeah, you can uh, find them there. Okay, and then to nearly finish off, I know we've talked very briefly. Don't know how much you can say, but do you have any future plans on developing another game yourself? I know that's probably the last thing you want to do right now. After <laughs> the I have some ideas. Game. I have some ideas. I haven't completely decided or nailed on anything yet fortunately unavowed is doing well and we've got two other games that we're publishing so mm-hmm. i don't need to jump on something right away sure. i can take my time and think about it but at the same time you know i get antsy and bored and you know i really want to i do want to work on something and so i, I need to think about i have some ideas okay uh, i haven't developed them to a point where i feel comfortable talking about either of them i have i have three ideas that I'm toying with. I'm not sure which one I want to pursue. Okay. That uh, sounds good. Well, in the meantime, you can go on a vacation. I think you deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so wh- where can people find you online then? That would be wadgetigames.com with a J, spelled with a J. I am also t- on Twitter a lot. So if you, uh, it's a great way to reach me if you want to contact mm-hmm. me on Twitter. And I'm on Facebook too. We have a Discord channel now, so you can look for that. Oh, I'd like uh, to join that. Yeah, so yeah, we're we're pretty much we're not hard to find. <laughs> okay, that's good. And then you want to reach we... me? You want to reach me? It's not hard. Yeah, no, I know. It, it was great, you know, to you know respond with, to get the interview. So thank you for that. So any last thoughts or anything you'd, you'd like to say to uh, the adventure game players who played your games, or any new players, or any other developers, or anything just at all that you'd like to say? I mean, I guess finish. like the thing I, I always have to say is that 12 years ago when I started doing this, I never thought I would last this long, let alone like be doing so well. And mm-hmm. the fact that we're able to do this and keep doing it mm-hmm. and earn our living doing it kind of makes me so incredibly happy because I love it as frustrating as it can be sometimes. I adore love that i can do this the interactions with the fans and the interviews from people like you and stuff like that it just means a lot to be able to keep doing this and i hope to keep doing it for longer i think i speak for many people that you know we hope you do as well so (laughs) and uh but as adventure game players want to thank you and your wife as well for making continue to make these games uh, that many people enjoy because i I do understand how much work and how many sacrifices you have to make so so thank you for you know making these games continue to give us this enjoyment. Yeah, it's my okay. pleasure. Okay, well thank you very much for giving me your time as well. And uh, yeah, I'll put the links then in the show notes and on you know my website as well, adventuregamespodcast.com. So and also some trailers uh, for the games as well and where people can find out more and buy those games. And yeah, okay. Well thank you very much, Dave. So yeah, best of luck with the uh, with the game on a vow in particular and in the future. Thank you so much. So that was my interview with Dave Gilbert. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I had a great, great time speaking to him. And I look forward to speaking to him again and to finding out 
what else he's working on. Now, as promised in the intro, I will reveal the results of the Twitter poll, which I conducted during the week. So again, which was your favourite game developed by Dave Gilbert? Was it the Shiva? Blackwell series, Unavowed, or I loved them all. Now, results might be a little bit surprising, maybe not. So, the Shiva got 3%, which I suppose is not too surprising, considering it was the first game, and he's gone on to make more probably famous games, but the Shiva's still really well worth it. Then, Unavowed got 20%, his latest game. Uh, I loved them all, got 32%. Uh, Blackwell series, all five Blackwell games, got 44%. So people have spoken, the Blackwell series is their favourite, well, games from Dave Gilbert. Now, you can, just so happens, you can buy those games at GOG and Steam. You can buy the Blackwell bundle. So all of them together, so the people have spoken, Blackwell series is their favourite game. I would recommend that people play all of their games, but if you want to start off with any, well, I'd recommend start off with the Shiva, but if not, the Blackwell bundle, all of them at once, you can get them and I would recommend that as well. But now everyone knows my own opinions on Why Should I Game Save Gilbert's Game, but what do other people think? So some comments from other people about Why Should I Game from Twitter. Makalak Blackwood said, I have so much love for all the Wajidai catalogue of games, but the Blackwell series was my first exposure to Dave Gilbert's storytelling style, and it's been my benchmark series for every other game of his I've played, especially since each one of the Blackwell series games illustrates how a developer can take a premise and refine it over several entries as they learn more about their craft. I don't know if I'd love Rose and Joey as I do if I hadn't seen their characters bloom with their games. And... Then Daniel says, I loved Unavowed, but for all the work that's gone to branching story paths and puzzle options and all that, I still very much preferred the linear character interaction from the Blackwell games. K-Swamp said, I feel like the Blackwell games have an unfair advantage of simply having more time to make you fall in love with them and the characters. That being said, life just ain't fair, so Mushrooms, uh, Midori Mushrooms on Twitter says, screw choosing, to be honest, I love all of them. Then Karen says, I love them all, but now I'm sad that no one shows a Shiva so far. These games are special. And then Piltdown Man says, calling the Blackwell series is a game, as a game is sort of like calling James Bond a movie. Can't compare Unavowed's, Unavowed's nice tight package with Blackwell's storied history, but former has edge because of how well its mechanic was pulled off. Plus, I think Ben, so that's Ben Chandler, the graphic artist, did wonders with the extra pixels. And Emily Spriggs said, The Shaver made me fall in love with adventure games again. Thank you. So there you have it from other people as well as me about their opinions on Dave Gilbert's games. You can check out all of these games and more on wajedigames.com. So that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed this rather packed episode. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dave Gilbert and I hope to talk to him again. So in two weeks on February 15th, I will be back where I'll be speaking with Georg Hubmeyer about his games, and in particular about Pat Out, game about, the game about a Syrian teenager who has to escape civil war in his country and who made an adventure game about it. So that's a really interesting game, and I had a really interesting discussion with him, so I'd urge people to check it out. And yeah, so I hope you liked it. That's all from me this week. So if you liked this episode if you like this podcast then you can follow me on social media you can follow me on facebook 
You can type in Adventure Games Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Advent Game Pod and on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. You can find out more information about the podcast on adventuregamespodcast.com. Also, if you like this podcast, then I would ask you to please share, please retweet, please help get the word out. And also please rate, subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Uh, subscribing really helps and ratings and reviews also really help get the word out. Not just for me, but for also adventure game developers who need uh, well all the attention they can get. I will be speaking to other adventure game developers in future who need publishers as well. So once again, thank you so much for listening and for supporting this podcast any way you can. If you're an adventure game developer and you want me to mention your games, you can feel free to get in touch with me, either through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And yeah, so I'll see you all in two weeks. Thank you. Goodbye.